Welcome to Lawyers on the Block, a crypto law podcast from Roman Kubiak and myself, Kieran Forsyth, in the Private Wealth Group here at Hugh James. Over the series, we'll be looking at some of the major issues and hot topics in the crypto and digital asset space right now. Trigger warning, we are lawyers, so we'll inevitably talk about some of the legal issues involved. But don't worry, we'll try to keep the legal jargon to a minimum. Should digital assets and cryptocurrency be governed and legislated for in the same way as other types of assets? Do they need their own legal definition with rules tailored for them? Well, that's what the Law Commission has been tasked with considering in its recent consultation paper number 256 on digital assets. So, in this episode, Kieran and I are going to take a closer look at that consultation, what recommendations the Commission makes, and the responses it's seeking from the public. So, hi Kieran, how are you? Very well, thanks Roman. Yeah, nice to be here, although I think we're going to be here for a while. <laughs> I suspect so, I suspect so. There's a, yeah, this is quite a chunky consultation paper, isn't it? But um, Yeah, so the Law Commission itself, I mean, I know they, they're out there to do the good and, and review it, but how effective do you think this will be? Well, so I've worked with, I say with, I mean, I've, I've dealt with a number of the consultations of the Law Commission as commissioned in the past, and effectively their role is... They're asked by government normally uh, to examine and look at the law and look at whether it needs reform. So good example of instances where they've done that, at least during my career, they launched a consultation a number of years ago on family provision claims on death, on claims regarding cohabitation, marriage. And then that eventually led to the Inheritance and Trustees Powers Act 2014, which amended the Trustee Act. It amended the Inheritance Act, which is an act which allows, as you know, claimants to make claims for financial provision from an estate where a will, for instance, fails to make provision. More recently, they launched, they did a big consultation on the law and wills, looking at Mm. reviewing wills. And we'll obviously deal with that in a separate podcast, but um, they kind of look at Particularly now, looking at modernising the law to reflect changes in society and in the emergence of new technologies. By its nature, they're always perhaps the law and legislation, at least the statutes, is always one to maybe ten steps behind yeah. society. So the Law Commission helps the law catch up with that, and they produce these papers after detailed consultations with the public and with professionals. They then invite responses. And then off the back of that, the plan is that they then put together potential acts of parliament. So, you know, they put together a white paper, which they then invite comments on, which then eventually gets uh, laid down as law. So that's what we have now with the uh, the digital assets paper. Yeah, and it, it began its life in July this year. So it's, it's very contemporaneous in terms of timing. And I, I think well-timed as well. It, it's neat for two reasons, because... It seems to provide a very good background as to why digital assets in the context of the current legal framework requires investigation and perhaps very much why we decided to begin this podcast series in the first place. And secondly, how those issues should be tackled. So I think it's a it's a good place for the law to start and a good place for us to start as well. And I think they're asking for proposals to be made by early November. And, yeah, the 4th of November, isn't it? Yeah, and, and we're looking to put forward some proposals. So it'll be interesting to see what 
everyone has to say in their questions after listening to this podcast. Reading all 549 pages of the, uh, the report. I, I will be honest, I haven't read all of those 500 odd pages, but I've certainly perused a number of those and got the main gist of it. But I guess if you can, the elevator pitch for the consultation paper period, I mean, what's it getting at really? What, what's, what's it looking at? Because from what I've got is it's essentially the key focus of this paper is property rights, isn't it? Yeah. So the consultation focuses on the principles of private law and particularly private property law. And the key reason for this is that, as the Law Commission says, property, as we all know, is vital to modern social, economic, and legal systems. But more than that, it's key to understanding how we all interact and dealing with those properties, so how that property is held, used, exchanged, and protected. Right. And in the sphere of digital assets, you can tell that you know, if someone's got X amount of million in, let's say, cryptocurrency or perhaps an NFT that they think is particularly valuable they are going to want to know how they can hold, use, exchange, and protect that asset. And, and that's what it's getting at. I think the real driver here is that there is a, a huge increase in, in the value of these digital assets. You know, we're, not, we're no longer talking about whether or not you own Spotify tracks. It's you know, how much Bitcoin you have in the bank and how you best protect them. Well, and, and actually, that's, a, that's an interesting part of Spotify because the whole confusion has been, do you own something? Do you license it? Do you only have a right to enjoy it and I guess this is probably looking at clarifying that so if you're sat there at home and you're you're listening to a Spotify track right now or watching a film on iTunes or posting something on social media then chances are you probably don't own that asset but with cryptocurrency we're looking at and other digital assets which we'll come to in a moment it's looking at how you might own those assets and crucially then the legal rights surrounding those assets and potentially the legal remedies if, there are, say, something goes wrong. I mean, mm. you mentioned, obviously, a case of people holding millions of pounds worth of crypto. I certainly don't hold that. I've, <laughs> I've got a little bit of money invested in Bitcoin, which I've very sadly watched tank over the last few months. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it's good to know, potentially, the Law Commission are looking at ways I may be able to, to deal with those assets in the future. And that was very much putting your, your money where your mouth is in terms of <laughs> getting used to cryptocurrency while, while we're actually trying to, uh, to get to grips with the regulation side of it, which every lawyer and indeed, I think, government in the world is, is trying to do. Yeah, um, some are more proactive than others, aren't they? Absolutely. And what's interesting with you know, digital assets in terms of property is that the Law Commission rightly states, you know, legally speaking, there are two forms of property. So very fancy words for them, but a show's in possession and a show's action. But what that what a show's means is a thing. So a thing in possession and a thing in action. And a, a thing in possession is what we're all used to, you know, your your car, your house. It's a it's an object of a tangible nature, which yeah. has a bun, bundle of rights and remedies attached to it. And a thing in action is probably best described as something that that allows you to bring an action. So you can think of it as a contract which allows you to sue if that is breached. But so I guess it's is it that distinction between something tangible that you can hold and then which is the chosen possession as opposed to the ability to get that tangible item through a legal right? It, absolutely right. So digital assets seem, seem to fall into a gap, and I, and I think they do. So what's really interesting is that the Law Commission is saying, you know, the law should pave the way to create a third category 
of personal property, which is fascinating because the shows in action and the shows in possession are very antiquated and very used to elements of property. And they're calling those data objects. Well, that's what the Law Commission proposes, isn't it, to define it as data objects, they suggest, isn't it? Yes, that's right. So, I mean, on, on a provisional assessment, they say that you know, such digital assets, such as cryptocurrency, would satisfy their proposed criteria of data objects and appropriate objects of property rights. And it wasn't until 2019 there was a case, and what we'll find in the crypto legal space, that many of these cases are like this. There was a case of AA and persons unknown. And yeah. <laughs> this is almost a, a hallmark or trademark of these, these cases, really, is that many of them are persons unknown, which almost justifies or vindicates or, or demonstrates why we need some more clarity here. But that was the first case, to my knowledge, where the High Court acknowledged crypto assets falling within the definition of property, broadly speaking. So I guess the Law Commission building on that, yeah. saying we've got these two definitions of property, chosen sessions, chosen action. It kind of doesn't fall in either. So to attach legal rights to it, we have to give it a proper definition. Yeah, It's interesting that the, the paper, because they've just got you know, various proposals and recommendations, but what they acknowledge is that they consider that what we have in England, whereas we've got you know, the, the wonderful system of common law as a common law jurisdiction as opposed to civil law jurisdiction, what that means is that our laws are based on evolving cases. So, so we have cases which go to court, judges decide them, they set precedents for then future cases and how we are able to interpret those laws. In much of Europe and the rest of the world, they have civil law systems where the law, the letter of the law is binding and final, and the courts simply have to interpret it based on the law as it stands in that legislation or that act. Here we have common law, and because of that, the Law Commission takes a view that it's sufficiently flexible to accommodate this. So mm-hmm. what they're looking at, though, is whether they see two options, don't they, for developing this law around or these law reforms. One is what they call an iterative common law reform, or, so I let the courts over time with some steer and guidance from the Commission from Parliament assign these rights to these assets by way of handing down decisions and judgments. And yeah. the other, I guess, more firmer approach is, in parentheses, limited statutory intervention, which mm. you and me and everyone else basically means acts of Parliament or laws. Yeah. And what's great about that, I think, and, and why they lean towards the common law approach being favoured is that, yes, you can set down in a statute you know, the definition of this third property and, and the rights conferred to it. But ultimately, judges will decide how that is enforced. And I think that's the interesting thing. And, and the great thing with the common law system is that you know no set of facts are the same. And when you present that to a judge, they'll have to determine the best outcome at the time. So I think the Law Commission have, have hit that right. And, and actually, that's reflected in the, the judges have done that anyway. Yeah. Leading up to, you know, yeah. the Law Commission is somewhat catching up. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. it's, it's very much, uh, oh, well, the judges have really taken upon themselves to know and recognize that these digital assets have value, you know, in, in the interest of equity and, and being fair. How do we ensure that someone that is aggrieved that has value in these digital assets gets the right, you know, the right outcome. And you have to say, actually, I mean, fair play. Yeah. You know, they, 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 yeah. These are these are fusty dinosaurs sat in darkened rooms at the ends of court. These are the judges are at the very forefront of 
this shift, this, this yeah. and it's been it's not been a gradual thing, has it? It's been very quick, and the courts have been forced to grapple with it. But we gave a talk in June on this, and I think the conclusion we reached there is that until we have a definition, lawyers and the courts are we're basically having to fudge our way around the law that's currently there yeah. to yeah. create these potential solutions out of these problems. So, I mean, is it worth for me looking at what the key proposals and conclusions are from the sort of 500-odd page reports? I mean, they've got, we've discussed obviously, they, they propose the explicit, what well, they say, recognition of this third category of personal property as distinct from the things in possession and in action, and they call those data objects. And then they mention the certain criteria that a thing must exhibit if it's to fall within that definition of data objects, don't they? They do. It's a little bit boring, but please don't switch off. I'll, I'll, it... I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> but the, the eye is, you know, the devil is in the detail, as we all know. So what do they say would be the type of thing that would fall within this third category of personal property? And of course, they've already provisionally assessed that things like cryptocurrency will. So let's see if cryptocurrency, for instance, meets their category definition. Yeah. So they say it would be something which is composed of data represented in an electronic medium, including such things as computer code, electronic, digital, or even analog signals. It would exist independently of persons and exist independently of the legal system. I guess that on the one hand, the possession, possessive part, on the other hand, the right accruing to it, isn't it? Exactly right. So, and, and that's what they're saying. You know, when they say it would exist independently of the legal system, what they're saying is now that's where the gap is. That's where digital assets are. They, they're there, but they're not properly defined, and, and they need to be. So you know, what does it really all mean? Well, on the first characteristic, it very much means something which is separate to a collection, and this is how they phrase it, of physical particles or matter within, the, within a defined boundary of three-dimensional space. All right, Brian Cox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, careful how you say that. In essence, they would therefore be things which are separate to the things in possession as we know, like you say. And they have informational quality represented in electronic media. That's the thing, is that's the case the data. It's that yeah. it has information, it's represented electronically rather than on paper or some other tangible form, I guess, isn't it? Exactly. And the second characteristic is a funny one, but you know, consider that things which are appropriate objects of property rights are in general those things which are separable from persons. Now, they had quite a funny way of describing <laughs> this, but the Law Commission explains this further in a warm manner when, when they say, in contrast, things that are inextricably associated with a person, such as body parts, friendships, or thoughts. I mean, the best thing I like about the, the body parts bit is that they put such as, and then in brackets, unsevered. I mean, it's unsevered. important to know that yeah. they're unsevered body parts. Good, good. Well, okay. Absolutely, yeah. So an unsevered body part, who would know? It's not a property right. There we um, go. But yeah. Very, very interesting. So it's you know it's it's that kind of thing. You know, they're very they, what they're showing is that this is very much a novel situation. All of a sudden we have value attached to it, you know, which as we know can spring out of spring up out of the blue, like you know, the old tulip issue. The tulip um, trading company, yeah. We'll talk tulip. about that in a separate podcast. Right. But it's an interesting case that and I mean what I like as well is that this confirms and I think the Law Commission having a bit of fun here, weren't they, talking about this and you know, they say obviously thoughts Thought are appropriate objects of property rights, so hopefully you know we can tell the thought police to go away. And then rivalrousness. Now, I'll be honest, 
I like to think I'm, I'm a scholar of English, but yeah. rivalrousness. Yeah, it's a, it's a word that I, I must admit, I had to Google quickly. I think, <laughs> you know, what do they mean? It's not one you, you hear often, rivalrousness. But what, what they're saying here is that in a world without property law... Sounds like a film show. In a world without property law. Yes, yeah, that might be my deep, my <laughs> deep tones. But um, in a world without property law, a person's liberty to make use of a rivalrous resource would effectively depend in large part upon the extent to which they could physically keep others away from it. So, Roman, you know, this is my chocolate bar, you're not having it. The theory goes that few would be secure in their own property rights if this wasn't you know, a, a factor. And they so give a great example, don't they? Where they say, for example, if Alice uses a Game Boy to play her <laughs> Pokemon Red game... Bob cannot use the same Game Boy at the same time. Alice's use of the Game Boy necessarily prejudices Bob's ability to use it. Now, two things with that. I mean, Alice and Bob appear in pretty much every legal scenario and exam question I've ever done. Who are they? They, they, they get around Alice and Bob. They're the classic. I mean, if, if you've got a third person, it's normally Charlotte. Yeah. And the fourth one is normally David. You have the other letter of the alphabet. But more interestingly is when you look at the reference to the Game Boy, I mean, you, you can tell there are the age and demographic of uh, people feeding into this report. I mean, cutting edge. Well, exactly. You know, they, they surely they could have brought it a bit more up to date, but you know, Nintendo Switch. I mean, Game Boy. God, I can't remember. Thirty years ago, I think I last picked up a Game Boy. But yeah. there we go. So that's we're saying that those are the things that necessarily a digital asset would have to have to fall within this data object definition. Yeah. To form basically this, this third property right, as they call it, is that right? Yeah, that is right. Okay. Um, I think what they're doing, and you know, they, they've thrown their you know their thoughts in, into the ring, really, by saying this is what's needed. And you know, as you say, it's a five hundred page document, but clearly they've got five hundred pages of things to write about, <laughs> which is a very all killer, no filler. Absolutely, not but, like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I think what's great about it is that, you know, of course, they, they are taking it seriously. The government will, will look at it. Courts will, will look at it. And ultimately, it shows you where things are going. There does need to be greater scrutiny in terms of how you define this, because at the end of the day, there's a lot of value lying there, you know, not just for businesses and, and, and not just for institutions, but for individuals involved. So, and they yeah. conclude, don't they, that crypto tokens satisfy that property, right? Don't they? Or satisfy that criteria of data objects and so they think because of that crypto tokens cryptocurrency assets like that will fall within that third definition as they propose yeah that's exactly right and you know to to kind of sum it all up looking at crypto tokens you know the, the law commission recognized that they have the potential to expand the process of fixing and deploying capital and which they say in turn could facilitate more distributed access to property rights and what that really means is that, you know, you give something a definition, people know exactly what they're dealing with, how to use it, and that allows a more diverse range of people, groups and companies to interact online and to benefit more widely from their own productivity. So, yeah, it's, it's a good thing for the economy, I think. Uh, we know economists, we're just looking at the law, but I think economists would welcome it. They certainly like something that's defined and, you know, that's gone from theory to practice. So... Very, very, very interesting. And they go on to say, don't they? I'm just looking at this now. They look about, look at explicit, they propose explicit clarification that the special defense of a good faith purchaser for value without notice should apply to crypto token transactions. I.e., if you purchase a crypto token and not aware that, let's say, it belongs to someone else and you've purchased it in good faith, that, that acts as a good defense. Okay, so they look, they're still looking to apply similar rights. The other right they're looking to 
well, they, they discuss, as a, I guess, a legal jargon warning, but they talk about special statutory reform to Section 53, subsection 1C of the Law of Property Act 1925. So this is statute nearly 100 years old. They're not saying do away with it in this regard. They're just saying tweak it in connection with certain dealings with equitable interest. Now, these are the interests that don't arise necessarily under the law, but arise by reason of some right you may acquire in an asset by operation of law. So Section 53 basically says that any transfers of equitable interest, so interest, underlying beneficial interest. So you may have a legal owner in an asset, but if I hold, I have a trust fund for my children, I may be the legal named party on the bank account, but the people who benefit from that are my children. So they would have the equitable interest, right? on equity, fairness, justice. Now, what Section 53 says is that any transfer of those interests has to be in writing and signed by or on behalf of the person making that transfer. So the Law Commission is saying there are a range of strong arguments for suggesting that well, say dealings in book entry and tokenized equitable entitlement to crypto tokens fall outside the scope of that. And they're saying that any such dealings carried out by electronic communication satisfy the formality requirements in that act. So yeah. I think the key pros of this saying that they think there should be an amendment despite that to Section 53 in relation to equitable entitlement to crypto tokens. Uh, they propose an express exclusion of qualifying outright transfers of those equitable entitlements to crypto tokens represented by entries recorded in electronic ledgers that are or capable of being subject to centralised discretionary control by a direct custodian. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fairly technical, but essentially they're looking at distinguishing these from other assets because, you know, other transfers have to be in writing. This is this is looking at, it's basically looking to modernise that law in terms of transferring ownership on a ledger, isn't it? On a DLT, distributed ledger, yeah. for instance. I think ultimately what that shows is that, you know, they, they really do actually quite understand how the technology works, which I think is, is good because not many people do. And to practically understand it in terms of making the laws around it, you actually have to understand how all of this, you know, is, is put together. Very interesting. So moving on a bit, they and they they're quite open about this. They begin to consider. They don't they don't make a conclusion on it, but they begin to consider whether it be desirable to develop bespoke and tailor-made legal provisions designed specifically for collateral arrangements in respect of crypto tokens, but. They don't make any law reform proposals at this stage. Mm. They then look at what's called the tort of conversion and looking at basically, you know, whether you can look at you know tracing assets and so on. Again, they don't look at making law reforms at this stage. And they say there's an arguable case for law reform to provide courts with the discretion to award, and this is interesting, to award a remedy traditionally denominated money. So when I say reward or an award, a remedy, talk about making an order, making a judgment. Yeah. So denominated in certain crypto tokens in appropriate cases. Again, they don't make law reform proposals at this stage. But mm. I think what they're doing is they're inviting the courts and the judges say, well, look, you know, we're open. We in the public and parliament potentially, hopefully, are open to, if you want to make an order to pay someone instead of in pounds and pence, mm-hmm. to pay them in Bitcoin and Sato, Crack on, yeah. You know, I mean, there, yeah. there is an issue now, isn't it, because of this sheer fluctuating value. Yeah. But you know, again, they deal with that in their report, and what they're saying is they're inviting 
views from the public on this. And when I say from the Law Commission, I'm inviting views from everyone. And this is actually, whether you're a lawyer, an accountant, an economist, you know, full-time carer, well, whoever you are in society, this invites you, you can, and if it's something which interests you or affects you, and digital assets affect many people, you can contribute and you can respond to this. And the Law Commission has to then consider those responses when it then feeds back proposals to Parliament. So it's something I really believe. I think it's a really good opportunity to play an active part in helping shape the future law in this area. And I know certainly we'll be a We'll be chipping in with our views, aren't we? We will, yeah. I'm actually just looking to see if we can find out exactly when that is required to be... It's, I think it's 4th of November. 4th of November, yeah. yeah. yeah it's 4th of November, yeah. so get your responses in by then, folks. Yeah, um, it's, it's easily found online. I just found it now, as, as you can all <laughs> you can all listen to me doing, but it's, it's a fascinating area. It's moving with the times, and it's good to see the Law Commission inviting responses. Um, so, yes, if you have your you'll say, and, and wanted heard, then please do so. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I think that wraps up our talk for today, but um, got plenty more exciting topics to talk about. So, um, yeah, until next time, we'll, uh, we'll see you shortly. Cheers, Karen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Roman. It's now time for the segment where we get asked a question called Ask a Crypto Lawyer. And it's a part of the show where you get to ask your questions about crypto law, tax or regulation. And then we have a go at answering it for you. This week, we have Andrew from Cardiff who writes or questions whether cryptocurrency is private in nature like cash. And because of that privacy, does it make it less susceptible to regulation? Well, that's a very interesting question because, and I'd like to answer it in two parts. The first is that Arguably speaking, yes, cryptocurrency, from the very word crypto, hailing from cryptographic, is private in nature. It does share the same features as cash in terms of being less susceptible to regulation. And of course, we know that to be the case because regulation is catching up with the advancements and increasing adoption of cryptocurrency. It's also interesting because it shows that, historically speaking, cryptocurrency was seen as having almost a nefarious element to it or allowing nefarious activity because of the fact that whoever owned it or used it is hidden. However, that is now less the case with the increasing adoption of exchanges such as Coinbase, where the ultimate identity and owner of a cryptocurrency holding can be found out. And for instance, HMRC can come knocking and will ask those exchanges for the details of the beneficial owners of cryptocurrency holdings. Because of course, they know that there is great value here. So I think in short, yes, at a first level, cryptocurrency does share the qualities of cash in terms of privacy, and that it is at a first look, less susceptible to ordinary everyday transactions using fiat currency through banks. However, we have seen an increasing move towards regulation and HMRC's ability to practically have a look at the value that you hold and therefore have a look at the tax that you may owe. So I think that was a very good question. And actually, it plays on all sorts of 
attributes that cryptocurrency has, which really explains how it was picked up at the start and actually the value, or perhaps what some say the value to be in terms of its secrecy. I think the second part to the regulation point is that once you regulate something, it then becomes a very useful thing in terms of investment. And what I mean by this is that if you regulate cryptocurrency, it becomes more of a sensible investment because the next purchaser or the next owner of it, once you decide you've had enough, will know that they are dealing with something that is protected and is recognized and is valued by not only the person holding it, but also the government's or institutions that regulate it. It becomes a tangible thing of value then, even more so than the actual money value behind it. So a very good question. Thank you, Andrew. I hope that answers it. And there we have it. That wraps up our podcast for today. Thanks for listening to Lawyers on the Block. If you made it this far, then you clearly enjoyed it. So why not subscribe to make sure you hear the next episode as soon as it comes out. Remember, nothing on this podcast is financial or legal advice. But if you do want to talk to a lawyer about any crypto issues that you may have, then please do get in touch at crypto at hughjames.com. 